Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you very much, Riangela, and good afternoon, brethren. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been a long time waiting. <laughs> No, but it's, it's, it's good to be here. I, I am really glad and thank uh, Pastor Adrian and the congregation here and, uh, for having us. Uh, the title of the message is uh, Lessons from the Life of Elijah. In the book of James, James chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, we read, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You know, as we read this um, passage, uh, what comes to my mind, and maybe also to your mind, is that oftentimes we look at biblical characters, especially we think of those that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the so-called hall of faith. And we look at those people, and somehow we think, you know, they are, somehow they are exceptional. These are supernatural people. But the scripture says um, they are men and women just like us. They were subject to attacks from the devil, They were subject to the same vicissitudes of life, the ups and downs of life, just as you and I have to face from day to day. And they were subject also to the pull of their own human nature. And as I look at a room like this, I mean, we are all here from different walks of life, different ages, from the very young to much older, like myself. (laughs) But... I am sure that within this audience, you know, we all, we, we go through different things. Uh, there are sometimes when we go through periods when things are not so well, low periods, when we feel down, maybe even depressed. There are other times when you're going through other periods and you're, you're elated, you're happy, things are going well. And people face all different kinds of problems. Uh, we heard the prayers that went ahead, the challenges that some are facing in their lives, uh, our brother Paul McIntyre. And it, it's, it's amazing. Just this week here, we had two uh, bits of sad news like that. McIntyre, who lost his wife. There's another one of our members from the Toronto congregation, a friend of ours. Uh, they were in, uh, her par- the parents were in Sudbury, and they had a, the car crashed. In this case, the husband died. And the wife is now in hospital. And just this week again, in, in our case, we had two funerals. On Monday, there was a funeral that we uh, were at for an older lady who died. And just last night again, we were at a viewing for another person who died. You know, so it's been an, another member who was in the hospital uh, this week. So the, these things happen. It's, it's a part of life. Life never just goes smoothly like that. There are always challenges, always trials that we have to face and to endure. For some people then, it's health problems. 
I look at, at Carrie. <laughs> but, but, but in this case, I rejoice. Uh, we came in this morning and, and said hello to him. And, and I said, said, I thought I was meeting him for the first time. said, oh, no, you, you know me. You've met me before. And I didn't recognize him because the last time I saw him, he was lying there on a hospital bed. I think it's Toronto East General Hospital. And he was looking nothing like what we see today. So we say praise God for that. We say praise God for that. You know, so people are going through many different things. Health problems. For some people, it's unemployment. For others, broken relationships. Or problems with children. And a multitude of challenges. You know, according to the World Health Organization, it says one in four persons in the world will be affected by mental or neurological disorders at some point in their lives. So if you're sitting in a row, every fourth person is likely to be affected by some form of mental disorder. And it says around 450 million people currently suffer from some such mental disorders, placing mental disorders among the leading causes of ill health and disability worldwide. And yes, even us as children of God are not immune from these things. Believers go through trying times. Even Christians become depressed. And sadly, sometimes too, that depression could get to the stage where hopelessness sets in and people just just give up. They stop walking this way. They wonder as they go through their trials, where is God? How come I've been serving God all this time? Where is God in the midst of my trial? And some people will just throw up their hands, call it quits. But the important thing is that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to refocus when we face such challenges. Because if we don't, the consequences could be extremely detrimental. So what I want to look at is to look at what we just read about, the prophet Elijah. Because there are some important things we can learn from his life. What he went through. Because he experienced what it was to be at the top of the mountain. And he also went through that place where he was in the, the depths of the valley. And so we can learn from his experience what he went through. How we can weather the storms of life. How we can go through the darkness and not stay there. Not despair. So let's take a look at that. Who was Elijah? The prophet Elijah is one of the most interesting and colorful persons in the Bible. God used him during a time when Israel was... The the whole nation was in the heart of idol worship. They had forsaken the God who brought them to where they were. And for the most part, the people had turned to idols. Elijah's ministry was marked, marked the beginning of the end of Baal worship in, in ancient Israel. His life was filled with turmoil. At times, as I said, he was bold and decisive. Then there were other times when he was just kind of almost afraid and, te- yeah, not almost, he was afraid, tentative, just, just in the pits. So he went through all of that. He knew what victory was, and he also experienced severe defeat. 
reaching to that stage of hopelessness. Even to the point of such hopelessness that he didn't want to live any longer. Elijah, a prophet of God, his name meant Yahweh is the Lord or my God is the Lord. The scripture tells us in First, uh, first Kings 17 that he came from Tishbe in Gilead. But we don't know anything about his family. We, don't, we know very little about his background. We first meet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. So we're going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17 to about chapter 19 for quite a while. So you can, probably can pay some, place a marker there. It says this in, we read that he suddenly appears on the scene challenging King Ahab, one of the most evil, if not the most evil king in, 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 in Israel, in the northern kingdom. And so the time frame is from around 874 to 853 BC. Eliza prophesied that there would be a drought in the land for three and a half years. So let's uh, go to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we read the first few verses. 1 Kings 17, let's start in verse 1. And it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these three years, these years, except at my word. So he was telling Ahab the king that the land was going to suffer a period of drought. Not even... Not only was there, was, there would be no rain, and even worse than that, not even as much as dew would fall on the grass. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide at the brook of Kirith, Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So God was going to provide for him miraculously, to feed him. Verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. It says, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So a period of drought started which would last for three and one half years. And so this is the setting. So as we begin now to look at Elijah's life, what we're going to see is that this first part of the report on his life is that there were, it was, it, it, it was that part of his life where he was like going up on a trajectory. Life was going good. God was using him to perform great miracles. So this was the high point in his life. So let's look at that. So we have already looked at one thing where he prayed, besought God, and rain stopped falling in the land for three and a half years. The lesson for us is that with faith in God, even the impossible can be accomplished. Elijah did not pray and the rain just stopped because it was the power of Elijah. It stopped because of the power of God and the will of God. Let's continue in a year in chapter 17. Another high point in his life was where he met this widow and another miracle was performed. So chapter 17, uh, verses uh, 8 
through about verse 16. And it says, The word of the Lord came to him, that is to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called out to her and said, Please, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. You know, the, the land was experiencing drought. People were thirsty. There was not much water around. But here came this prophet to this widow, asking her, Give me a drink of water. Verse 11. And she was going to get it. He called out to her and said, While you're at it, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. <laughs> What's wrong with this man? We're suffering from a drought. I, don't have, I, I probably don't have much water in my house. You're asking for a drink of water. And in, on top of that, you're asking me, bring you a piece of bread? Anyway, she complied. Then she said to him, verse 12, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. I only have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, this is what I'm doing. I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for, my, for myself and my son. And we may, that we may eat it and then die. She was in a state of desperation. She was at a point of hopelessness. To her, she was staring death in the face. Or death was staring her in the face. And all she said, you know, this is all I have. You know what? This is, this is the end for me. Nevertheless, the prophet asked her for this bread and, and, and water. And Elijah said to her, verse 13, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. <laughs> you know, I, I read that and from my human perspective, I, I almost want to think, man, this man is kind of selfish. Almost sounds inconsiderate. You know, what, was, what she was going through and, and his thing. You, you bring me that, you, br- you make me that cake first. Then you can take care of your, your son and yourself. But, you know, in fact, he wasn't being selfish. He was doing God's work. Maybe she was being tested to see whether or not she would have the faith to respect God's servant and to do as he commanded, as he requested of her. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up. So he was pronouncing a prophecy over her life, telling her that you don't have to worry. You will be fed. God will take care of your needs. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and she did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. So God answered Elijah's prayer on our behalf. He provided for this widow miraculously. And so while there was drought around and there was maybe famine and hunger, she was provided for because she trusted God. She obeyed the man of God. It says the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So there was another miracle here uh, performed through God's servant, Elijah. But then 
something else happened. It's, it's just like from one thing to the next to the next. So the next account we read of here is this incident where the widow's son died. So let's pick up here now from verse 18. She said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? So her son died. And she was wondering, you know, she's, she's obviously perturbed. She's upset. Did you come to kill my son? Is it, did you come to, to expose my sin? I don't know what that sin was. Could have been. Well, let's, all right, I won't bother to speculate. But whatever it was, this was her, her reaction. And he said to her, so he told her, you know, bring your son to me. And she brought her son. Maybe he was, could have been small, maybe 12 years old or thereabout. Or small enough that Elijah could actually hold him in his hand. Took him to this upper room. And he laid his own body on him. Prayed for him. And the son was revived as the, as the, word, the, the story tells us here. I'll just skip down in the interest of time. It says, Elijah took the child, verse uh, 23, brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. She must have been very glad. Her son was revived. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is in fact the truth. So obviously she, you know, she, whatever she did at first when he asked for all these things, you know, for the, the bread and the water, uh, maybe she had her doubts. But she had a personal experience, a dramatic personal experience. I guess the, 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 the thing with the food might have been somewhat, yeah, you know, yeah, that's probably, probably a man of God. But seeing her son brought back to life, that did it for her. She was absolutely convinced this was the man of God. And through him, her son was revived. All right, the other incident we uh, event here want to look at, and we'll spend some time on this, is Elijah's victory over the prophets of Baal in First Kings 18. So we're going to jump down to verse 20. Verse 20, and it says that Ahab sent for all the children of Israel. So Elijah had given a challenge, uh, telling Ahab, you know, you bring all the prophets of Baal here, and we're going to have a challenge here up on Mount Carmel to see who is the true and living God. Who is the real God? Is it the God, Baal, or is it God the Eternal, the God of Israel? So this was, the, this was what was happening here. Verse 20, we just read. Verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. So Israel was at a stage of vacillating. They weren't very sure if, I mean, this God of Israel, who supposedly brought us out of the land of Egypt, is, is this a real God? Or, or, or is it Baal? So they were, they, were, they were wavering between two opinions. And Elijah was challenging them. Make up your mind. Choose ye this day whom ye shall serve. If God be God, then serve him. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
Therefore, let them give. And so this was the challenge now. Or to bring these, these bulls to be offered as, 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 as burnt offering. And the God who answered by fire, this one would prove, this one would show himself to be the one and only true God. Elijah said to the people, uh, sorry, um, verse um, 23. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, uh, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So they agreed to that challenge, agreed to do this. All right, so let's skip down a few verses uh, to verse 26. So they took the bull, which was given them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal. So these were the prophets of Baal and those who weren't looking to the God of Israel. They set up their altar, put the pieces of the, the, the bull on the altar. No fire was lit. And then they began to call on the name of Baal. Oh, Baal, hear, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they leaped, leaped, leapt about on the altar which they had made. So they were going with all kind of antics. You know, the, the God was listening to them. So they were trying all kind of things to get his attention. But he still wasn't hearing because he was not God. So they cried aloud, verse 28, I'm at now. They cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And so, you know, they were trying in every way to appeal to Baal. Maybe if we sacrifice our blood, he will hear us, he will answer. And so this continued, and they were doing all kinds of things, and continued until the evening. Uh, Let's go down to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he prepared the altar of the Lord that that was broken down. Or he prepared the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones representing the twelve tribes of Israel. uh, To whom the word of the Lord comes saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seers of of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on 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 the burnt sacrifice, and on the wood. So Elijah was on a show. He said, Let me show you something here. We're not... This... The God whom I serve... He's going to perform something dramatic, a miracle today. And so they put the, the, the bull on the altar. And if that was not enough, pour water on it. Soak it. And the water was running all around in the trench where the altar was. Because God was going to demonstrate that he's in fact God and he alone. And let's get down to verse 34. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. 
And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, so this was Elijah's prayer, one of the very famous and effective prayers in the, in the, in the Bible. And James thought, thought, told us about Elijah. He was a man of like passion, like us. But he prayed in faith and he saw God answering. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. The people's heart had turned away from the one true God of Israel. They were worshipping idols who could do nothing for them. But here was Elijah's prayer, heartfelt prayer, that God would turn the hearts of the people back to the God of Israel, the one true God. And then what happened? Almost instantaneously, this is what happened. Verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood. It didn't stop there. It burnt up the stones and the dust. And I like how it says this. It licked up the water that was in the trench. Can you imagine what that would have been like? A most dramatic event. That would have done something. That did something to the people who witnessed it. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You know, sometimes God has, has to do dramatic things for people to really understand that He's God. Just as He did with the, with the widow, raising her son. I, I guess she wasn't convinced that this was truly a man of God until God used him to raise the dead. We don't have to wait for God to raise the dead for us to know that he's God. I'm sure that everyone here, if you would think back and think about it, God has done things in our lives. God has done things for us that we can be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is God. He is God. I'm looking at you. I remember in Toronto, and I hope you don't mind me saying it, she had cancer. She had cancer. Today is free from cancer. Prayers went up. Your prayers, the prayers of the saints, God answered. This is the God whom we serve, brethren. And we should never ever doubt him. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And so this was what happened here on Mount Carmel. Then, of course, we, we read further that Elijah called, Gather those prophets of Baal. All these idol worshippers, and they gathered them, and Elijah executed them on Mount Carmel, put them to death. So that was one of the more dramatic incidents in Elijah's life. Another one, of course, we read further down, and we're not going to go through all of this, but in the same chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 41 to 46, he prayed again, and the drought was broken after three and a half years. So rain came again. And one other incident we would refer to is in Second Kings chapter 2, 
Second Kings chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We won't turn there. But here it was when Elijah parted the waters of the Jordan. An act of faith. God using him to part the Jordan. God is the way maker, brethren. God is the way maker. And I don't know what Jordans you have to cross. I don't know what burdens you may be bearing. But I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is able to make a way. I know he has made a way for me. And he's no respecter of persons. If he's made it for me, I know he can do it for you. And so it doesn't matter what we are going through. We can cast those cares upon him. The word says, casting our cares upon him because he cares for us. We have a compassionate high priest, one who can be touched, one who understands the feeling of our infirmities, and he's able to help us. No believer should get to that stage where you're, 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 you're sitting down and you're in the darkness and you just want, oh, oh. yes, you can cry, that, that's okay. But don't despair because God is able. God is able to work things out for us. He's worked out things for me and he continues to do so. And he can do it for you. And, 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 and I'm sure lots of you here can testify of what he has done for you. But you know that sometimes we have a tendency to mark up things to coincidence and chance. Oh, yes, I got that job. Oh, but, you know, oh, I guess it's because I was well qualified. Yes, you were well qualified. But it is God who opened the door. Yes, I was sick and now I'm feeling better. Oh, it's the good medicine. The doctors were so proficient and efficient and well-trained. They might have been, but it is God who brought the healing. Let's never write down our experiences to circumstances, brethren. That's what the devil would like us to do. He would like us to forget the things that God has done for us. But we should remember them. And those things should encourage us. Just as they did. Um, David said, the same God who helped me to fight the lion and the bear. When you face your Goliaths, he says, that same God who helped me to fight and to defeat and to kill the lion and the bear. The same God is able to help me to face this Goliath. This is the approach we have to take, brethren. This is how we have to live. Live in faith. Trust in God. Believing Him. Taking Him at His word. So we have seen Elijah on the upward trajectory. We have seen him rising to the top of the mountain. But you know, oftentimes, if we go up, <laughs> there's a strong possibility that there's going to be a downfall. And, and, a, and, and, and the down doesn't necessarily have to be anything bad, you know. It doesn't have to be. Because God can use all of these circumstances. Romans 8.28 says, He causes all things. When we are climbing up the mountain, and when we are going down into the valley, He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So now let's look at this downslide in Elijah's life. And so we come to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, Ahab's wife Jezebel threatened Elijah that she was going to put him to death. So we read here in uh, chapter 19, 1 Kings, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed the prophets 
with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of them by tomorrow about this time. So he was saying, just as you have killed these prophets of Baal, you will be just as dead as them by tomorrow this time. She was threatening him. And Elijah succumbed to the threat. Verse 3, and when he saw that, when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. <laughs> That's kind of hard to imagine. This powerful prophet of God, who God even used to raise the dead, this little queen lady, Jezebel, comes now to threaten you. And he just like put his tail between his leg and run away, run, ran away from her. It's not the thing you would have expected. But you know, these things do happen. Even the strongest of us sometimes, if our eyes are not in the right place, if our eyes are not on God, we can easily be threatened by men. So chapter 19, Elijah, let's, let's, we're going to spend a little time here. So let's go down to verse 3. And when he saw that, he ro- arose and ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, that's up in the, in the northern part of Israel, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed, listen to what he prayed, that he might die. He prayed that he might die. He says, it is enough now, Lord, Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You see, this is what fear will do to us, brethren. Fear kills. It cripples and it kills. And this is what was happening to Elijah. He feared a mere mortal human being. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare or an entrapment. What Elijah should have been doing is looking to God. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. What has he given us instead? A spirit of power. A spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because you see, fear, fear, fear cripples the mind. I can tell you about that. My own personal experience. It almost killed me. But thanks be to God, I'm here today. I've been a husband. <laughs> and all because of fear. I could have been a husband or a husband or whatever you want to call it. History. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I'm here today before you. Don't give in to fear, brethren. That's what the enemy would want us to do. To become so fearful. You see, the thing is, we will all face challenges. We will all face problems. But this, is, I think, is how we should approach it. That's the threat. This is you over here. What we need is God between us and whatever threatens us. 
whatever is threatening you, whatever is weighing heavily on you, position yourself in such a way that you get God between you and that which is coming against you. He is our shield. He is our strong tower. He is our refuge and our strength. And we have to trust him to be able to defend us. And I illustrated this. I gave this message in, in, in Toronto a few weeks back. And I called up a, a father and his, uh, his son. And I said, you know, your little son here, suppose I was intending to threaten your son, to do harm to him. And the little boy came up. And I said, so, so what would happen? And all the father did was, this was me over here, the threat to his son. This was him standing up. He just came right between me and his son. says, you're going to touch my son? If you intend to touch my son, you have to come to me first. You have to touch me first. You're not going to touch my son without coming through me. In other words, he, he was the strength and the refuge for his son. He was the one to protect his son. And that's the God whom we serve. Nothing, nothing, brethren, can touch us without God allowing it. Anything that comes against us, it must first be filtered through the hands of God. It doesn't matter whether it's a health problem. It doesn't matter whether it's a financial crisis. It doesn't matter whether it's a relation. It doesn't matter what it is. Nothing and the enemy cannot touch us unless God allows him. We see that, we see, we see that example in how he dealt with Job. The enemy came and said, Skin, Job, you, you, you put this edge around Job. And that's the only reason why he's serving you. But you take away these things from him and see if he will not curse you to your face. Did he? No. And then when, when, when God allowed him, except said, you, 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 you can have your way against Job, but don't, you know, you're not allowed to, 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 to kill him, to hurt him physically. And we know the story, you know, he, he lost his, his children, he lost his property, lost all his possessions, all of these things. And it says in all of this, Job still, he just praised God. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. And Satan said, you, I, I bet if you allow me to crush his flesh, you see if he's not going to curse you. Give up on you. God allowed Satan to hit him with severe boils. And yet in all of this, Job stood faithful. You see, brothers and sisters, in the prayer Brother Hadrian gave, the outward man may perish, but the inward man should be renewed day by day. It says, fear him. Don't, don't fear those who are able to destroy this body. Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. In other words, the real you, the real person, the one who is able to end your life permanently. That's the one who we ought to fear, not men. What can man do to us? Yeah, they can hurt you here, but... They don't have authority over your salvation. So, yeah, so I said here, we read chapter uh, verse 4, that Job had become so despondent, in fact, he had become suicidal. He wanted to die. You see, that is what fear does to us. We lose our focus, and it distorts our perception. You know, he could not see where he was going. He could not see life for what it was. And that's where the devil wants to bring each and every one of us to a point of desperation and hopelessness. 
And Elijah was wrongly comparing himself with his fathers. Something we should never do. Because if we compare ourselves with other people, always it says there are people who are better than you, or richer than you, there are people who are stronger than you, people who are more good-looking than you, people who are more talented than you. But keep our focus. Let God be our standard. Let Christ be your standard. Let him be the one that we look up to. Yeah, you can be inspired by people around you. People are doing well and all of that kind of stuff. But let Christ be your standard. Like Peter was walking on the water. Once he kept his eye on Jesus, he stood afloat. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, brethren. Uh, Continuing here, chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, it says, Then as they lay... uh, then as, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and, 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 and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. So God was providing for him miraculously. You know, it's amazing how God takes care of us. As human beings, we have a tendency, we have a tendency to forsake people when they're down. God's not that way with us. He's right there with us when we are going through our valleys. So he supernaturally provided for Elijah. Then verse 9, we see here God was asking him, What are you doing here in this cave? So Elijah was now in a cave. He was in the pits, brethren. He was in the depths of depression. God asked him, What are you doing here? You know, when God asks us what we are doing here, it's, it's like he's asking, Where are you? As he asks Adam. Not that he doesn't know where we are. But it suggests, brethren, that somebody has moved in this relationship. Somebody has moved from where they were in this relationship. And usually it is not God who moves. It's usually always us who move away from him. Yes, verse 10. So he was in this cave. He was in the midst of his depression. Uh, let's meet in the interest of time. Let me skip down to verse 12 here. Uh, what verse 12? Verse 12, and he says, after that, so God was now trying to get his attention and to speak to him, and it, you know, came in the, in the elements to him. You know, there's a, the, the mount, um, the sound of the earthquake, and all of these things, and, and the wind, and all of these things. But it says that you know, God was not, that he was still not there, so to speak. What I get from this, brethren, is that. Sometimes, you know, when people are in the depths of their depression, what they, lead, what they need less than anything, what they don't need necessarily is for somebody coming, preaching to them. What they need is just somebody to come alongside them in that still, small voice to say, you know what? Maybe I've never been where you're at. Maybe I've never experienced that, or maybe you have. And just that still small voice coming alongside to just help someone up rather than to preach and to try to browbeat them and to, you know, you should snap out of this. You call yourself a Christian. How come you're depressed? Yes, Christians get depressed too. Christians sometimes feel a sense of hopelessness. But what we need, brethren, is for us to come alongside one another, to get into the trenches with others, to come there where they are. Don't, Don't be like Job's friends. To be fault-finding. Yes, you're not going to encourage the person to stay in that state, but you come alongside them to encourage them. That still small voice. Because you see, God still had unfinished business for Elijah. 
and God stuck with him through all of this. Verse 18, he brought him encouragement and to assure him that he was not alone. Elijah was thinking he was the only one there uh, who had, was serving God. He, was the only, he thought he was the only prophet left. But that was not the case. God said, I had 7,000 other prophets who had not bowed the knees to Baal. So now, brethren, as we look at these two things in Elijah's life, that when he was on the peak going up, and now when he was in the valley, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? I think one of the first things to remember is that every valley, every valley that we may go through is a space between two peaks. That's what a valley is. A valley is something like this. You have a peak up here. The terrain slopes down like that. And then it slopes back and then it goes back up. It is between these two peaks that we have a valley. And so, if you get down into that valley, what it tells me is that if you stay focused, keep looking to God, there will come a time when you'll get out of that valley. You will rise again. It's like life, a natural thing in life. Uh, I, this, I, I this, this might help to, to, to illustrate. If I have two volunteers, two strong men. Two strong men? Are there no strong men? Well, if we don't have strong men, then strong women, then. That might help. This is my skipping rope. Uh, I just need two volunteers. It won't hurt. Trust me. <laughs> one for you, one for you. So if you pull that tight. You see, life is never normally like this. Life never just goes straight and smooth like this. But rather, if you come closer to each other, and if you even, you know, maybe do that, you see life is it's kind of ups and downs, you know, the, the waves, ups and downs, ups and downs, you know, twists and turn. No, that, that's how life normally is. It's, it's never always just this one straight thing. And those waves, the waves of life, are the things that produces results thank you I don't know if that helped but <laughs> but at least <laughs> you know we, 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 we see that you know that's, that's how life is we will fall down brethren but the important thing is that we don't stay down we appeal to God and call to him to pick us up Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says for a righteous man may fall seven times but he rises again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. And Job chapter 14, Job 14, again in the interest of time, I'm going to allow you to read that one. Job 14, verse 7 to 9, it talks about the tree that is cut down, it will spring again. The tree that is cut down, it will spring again. Just this morning I was watering my plants, and we had a, a big rose of Sharon just by the fence to the neighbor's. Last year, it, it, it was growing up and flowering, beautiful flowers in the summer. And I noticed this spring that there are a lot of dry, you know, the, the, the little branches. And I'm saying, mm, and it's, it's spring coming. I'm saying, something is wrong with this plant. I think it's disease. I think it's, it has actually, 
it, it has died. And I was actually planning to just cut the whole thing down and root it up. And then a few weeks passed by, and I saw coming from the root, a little, some little things, just branches just, just springing up. They're still very small. But the thing it, it tells me is that if I just decided to root the whole thing up, that plant would have gone. I, I thought it had no hope. But there is hope that it will spring again, and it has sprung again. So next year I hope to see it getting bigger and seeing more flowers. You know, many of God's greatest works are done in the dark places of our lives. Many of God's greatest works are done in the dark places of our lives. Job 12 and verse 22 says, Job 12 verse 22 says, He uncovers deep things out of darkness and he brings the shadow of death to light. You know, it was from the depth of darkness of a fish's belly that Jonah prayed and God delivered him. You know, someone observed this, said this, that it is in the valley where plants have their greatest growth. It is in the valley that plants have their greatest growth. And so sometimes God may be allowing us to go through valleys. Don't despise that valley that he allows you to go through. It is meant to bring about your growth, your spiritual growth. It is meant for his character to be formed in you. So let's you know, subject ourselves to whatever it is that God is taking us through. And there's another observation that sometimes, and I don't know how scientific this is, but I read somewhere it says that trees are grow greatest when they are actually in the midst of a storm. Apparently, it, it promotes greater growth and the roots tend to get deeper when they are being shaken by, 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 by the wind. When one is down, what they need is encouragement, brethren. So if you're down, or if a brother or sister is down, be there to encourage them. Be there to give a helping hand. Be there to lift them up. We should never ever condone sin. And so if somebody is in a, is in a valley because of their sins, you don't encourage that. You come, come alongside them. And you say, you know, brother or sister, what you're doing here, the reason you're here is because you have done something wrong. Turn from that way. Give them hope. Give them encouragement. Show them back. It says, you who are strong, help the one who is weak. Pick them up. Don't beat them down. You know, as Christians, we, t- we have a tendency to uh, be very judgmental. And we more readily beat down people. Uh, soldiers are, uh, tend to be quite different. A fallen soldier, you don't find a comrade usually leaving them in the field because they are injured. They stay there with them, nurse them back, help them, bring them to a better place. Brethren, God has much more to accomplish through each and every one of us. And so it doesn't matter what we may be going through now. Elijah went through this period of, of success, and then he went into this valley. God was not finished with him yet. The work that God was doing through him was not finished. In fact, maybe the greater work was, was yet to come. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 and 6 says, speaking of Elijah, it says, Malachi 4 verse 5 and 6, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And then in Revelation chapter 11, verse 3 to 6, 
although it doesn't mention Elijah's name here, uh, it seems to suggest that he will be one of those that will be one of the two, the end time witnesses. Because he's talking about those who prayed, brought, um, brought down fire from heaven and, and, and um, water, uh, touched waters and they turned to blood. Uh, symbolically, uh, most likely, could be Moses and Elijah. So the, the greater work is even yet to come. So we can take comfort, brethren. Take comfort from the word of God. There are many scriptures we can look to. James 5, verse 7 to 8. James 5, verse 7 to 8, it says, Look how the farmer waits patiently when he plants that field. He doesn't just put the seeds in and then, Oh, you know, I put in seeds today. I want tomatoes tomorrow. You know, we planted some stuff on our balcony, tomatoes. And, and, but it takes time. Now we are beginning to see a few of them begin to ripe, to ripen. So be like that farmer. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians 1 and verse 6. I'm rushing through these in the interest of time, but you can um, study them later. Philippians 1 and verse 6 says, He who has begun a good work in you, he will see through the end. Whatever God starts in our lives, brethren, he will see through to its conclusion. The valley you are going through is temporary. There's a song by Richard Smallwood says, Hold on, don't let go. I don't know if any of you knows that, know that, that song, but you know, whatever you're going through, it, 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 it will pass. It will pass. So don't give up. Don't give up. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7, one of my favorite scriptures. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing. Don't be perturbed by what may be happening, brethren, in your life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, it says, make your requests known to God. And the result of that, it says, the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? It will said it will guard your heart and your mind. Anxiety unsettles the mind. Anxiety distorts our perception and our thinking. But if we take those cares, those concerns, those anxieties to God, giving Him thanks even for some of the difficulties that we may be going through, in fact, for all the difficulties that we may go through, it says He will give you that peace. And Isaiah speaks about that. He says, those whose hearts are set on the Lord, He says He will keep them in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. Those whose hearts are set on God. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. And just let these scriptures, brethren, become your, like your byword, your password. Use them. Use them when you go through those challenges. Use them when you go through those valleys. Call upon God. Use those scriptures. Remind yourself. Speak to yourself with these words. Hebrews 13 and verse 5, it says, God promises he will not leave or forsake us. He will not leave or forsake us. And another one, Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. It says, those that wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But it says they will mount up with wings like eagles. God is able to strengthen us, brethren no matter what we may be going through. And above all of these things, if there's anything that we should do, if there's one thing that we should do when we face our valleys, when we are going through our valleys, and this is it, if you take away nothing else, 
take this. Do not lose hope. Do not lose hope. Because I'm telling you, brethren, if the devil brings you to that place where you think it, this is hopeless, this doesn't make sense, you're cooked. That's the end of it. It almost happened to me. I was at that point of desperation. Seven years of depression. And I remember, some of you have heard me say this before. I remember that morning, about two in the morning, when God woke me up from sleep. And I went up to pray. And I was just bawling my heart out. And these were the words that came to me. didn't hear them audibly. But in the spirit, God said, I know you know about me. But I want you to know me, to have a personal relationship and experience with me. It is very easy to be coming to church and think that, well, everything is fine. And coming to church and not even have a relationship with God. We need to have a personal relationship with him. So whatever you do, don't lose hope, brethren. And this is my final little thing to hopefully to help you to remember. Yes, the scripture talks about putting on that hope, the hope of the helmet of salvation. You see, in all of this, brethren, what it comes down to is guarding our minds. The devil wants to take control of our minds. He wants to bring us to a place of, you begin to think, this is hopeless. This doesn't make sense. What's the point? That's where he wants to take us. But the word of God, when we have hope in God's word, when we put on that helmet of the hope of salvation, you are setting up yourself to defeat the enemy that comes against you. So Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you. And yes, he was speaking to Israel. But it applies to us. You see, we can take this word, brethren, personally. This is God's gift to us. This is God's word to us. You are the children of Israel. You are God's children. We are God's children. And so what he says to them here, this, it, this applies to us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. But rather to give you a future and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. I was going to read Romans 5, but you heard that earlier, so I will end here. I pray, brethren, that God will help us to keep our eyes on him. And so, no matter what we may be going through, don't give up. Please, don't, don't, don't give up. Keep trust in God. If he has brought you to that valley, there will come the time when he will take you out of it and bring you to a better place. Let's keep trusting him and obeying him. Thank you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.